So welcome to episode number 129 of the podcast, More Than Bread. I'm Dan, your Bible reader and host, and I'm doing something that I haven't done in this chapter of my podcast. I've I've called this chapter the Top 40 Psalms, and we've been looking at my favorite Psalms, 40 of them, though I've added a couple at your request. But, but three times so far, I've invested two episodes in one Psalm. Did it for Psalm 23, did it for Psalm 37, and did it for Psalm 51. And I was ready in this episode to go on to the next psalm, but man, I just felt in my gut that we needed, or maybe I just needed, one more episode in Psalm 51. So I'm setting the table one more time for David's psalm of confession, one more time diving into David's sin and his, even more importantly, reconciliation to God. And remember, we've been saying these last couple of episodes, the point is not saying no to sin, the point is saying yes to God. Let me read again, this time from the New Living Translation. Here's what it says, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. Do you realize these are my words? Do you realize that that's one of the ways that the Bible defines sin? It's it's a rebellion against God. David sinned with Bathsheba, had Uriah killed, gross sin. But but ultimately, he says, it was, it was a rebellion against God. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Instead, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Make me willing. I love that phrase. Listen to that again. Make me willing to obey you. Sometimes it's not just help me to just make me willing to obey you. And then I'll teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for the shedding of blood, O God, who saves. And then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering, but the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you'll be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit. With burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings and even bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. A few years ago, Laura Bennett and Sandra Spannon set up a, a laundromat of a different sort. They they dressed in the white of a 19th century washerwoman and set up shop at 112 West 44th Street in Manhattan. Laura was on the street, silently flagging the attention of people passing by. And if they would stop, she'd point them to the word stenciled on the glass of the shop. The word said, air your dirty laundry, 100% confidential anonymous, and free. If they were interested, Laura would extend a clipboard with a blank sheet of paper and an envelope stamped with the word secret to any takers. 
Now, hundreds of people took that clipboard. <laughs> not, not like survey takers. Hundreds of people took that clipboard. Executives and homeless shoppers and secretaries, joggers and tourists took the clipboard and wrote down their secret sins. They'd seal it in the envelope and drop it in a bucket. Now, meanwhile, Sandra, the other woman, was stationed inside the window drawing portraits of those who would stop to record their inner secrets and unburden their souls. When the author was out of sight, an assistant would deliver the envelope to Laura, who read the confession and taped it to the window for all to see. So soon those passing by would see portraits and sins, not connected, but nearby, so you couldn't tell whose was whose, but see portraits and sins... Perhaps as the windows filled, some were more interested in reading others' confessions than confessing their own sins. But, but in some cases, the confessions of others were the catalyst to make their own honest confession. If you could have stood in front of the window of guilt, you would have found some secret sins to be silly and some to be tragic. The hermit crab was still alive when I threw it down the trash chute, said one. I want to see SUVs explode. Those people are so selfish, wrote another. I'm dating a married man and getting financial compensation in exchange for the guilt. I'm 25 and he's a millionaire. One wrote, I make fun of my friend behind her back. Another confessed to murder. Someone wrote, I haven't slept with my husband in a year and I'm about to start an affair. Barnett related that she and her friend were, were often overwhelmed by the weight of other people's sins. We'd go there, and the window is empty, and we're wearing all white, and at the end, the window is full, and, and we're covered with paint, and it's, it's exhausting. She said, some of, some of those things are really, really sad, and off, afterwards, I, I feel like I need to take a bath. And we don't need a storefront experiment to know that across all generations, woven through all income levels and culture, a lot of us are hiding, hiding something from someone. In fact, many of us are trying to hide something from God. Dallas Willard writes about a two-and-a-half-year-old girl in the backyard who one day discovered the secret to making mud. She called it warm chocolate. Her grandma was, was reading on the porch, not really seeing what was taking place. But when she did see, all she could see was mess. <laughs> so she cleaned up the mess and told little Larissa not to make any more warm chocolate. And then she put her book aside to watch. And, and it wasn't long before the little girl was edging her way back to the mud and starting to place her hands in the warm mess. And, and at the same time, she was remembering her grandma's warning. So in a voice as sweet as only a little granddaughter like my Rory or Maisie can make it, she looked up and said, Nana, don't look at me, okay? Three times in the next few minutes, Larissa repeated her request. Nana, don't look at me, okay? Willard writes, Thus the tender soul of a little child shows us how necessary it is to us that we be unobserved in our wrong. And I just wonder, how often is that our prayer? Don't look at me, God. Don't, don't look at me, God. When the businessman checks in alone at his hotel and sees what's on HBO or the other streaming channel late at night, don't look at me, God. When a mother loses her temper with her kids and chooses to keep yelling after she gets her breath, don't look at me, God. When a young man and woman decide to hook up without any intentions of making a heart commitment, God, don't look at us. When we make a decision to get even or a little bit more than even with the person who hurt us, don't look, God, don't look. When we know what God wants us to do, but we choose to do nothing, don't look at us, God. 
We don't say it out loud, just a silent prayer. We don't want anyone to see. Do you know what I mean? I mean, perhaps the words I'm speaking even now are knocking on some closet door buried deep in your heart. Your your heart is gripped, but all you can think is, please, no, don't open that door. Today we're looking at Psalm 51, one more time. It's a prayer, a worship song, written and sung by a man who at some point in his life said, don't look at me, God. And then he went on and he committed the most terribly tragic sin we can imagine. And when Samuel the prophet, when Nathan the prophet, um, confronted David with his sin, he said to David, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what was evil in his eyes? In other words, God knows, God sees, we have no secret sins in God's eyes. Before we go any further, can we acknowledge what brings us to the point where we have sin in our life? I'll come back to this. Uh, I, I, I hit this uh, uh, another time in, in the first episode on Psalm 51, I believe. But, but John Piper makes it very simple and very clear when he writes, sin is what you do when your heart is not satisfied with God. In other words, nobody sins out of duty. We, we sin because sin holds out some promise of happiness, and that promise enslaves us until we believe that God is more to be desired than life itself. Now, I, I believe that was David's journey, but at some point he thought he deserved something better than God. But he found that a heart that is not satisfied with God will sooner or later experience the ravages of sin. And what does David do? David says it, it stains Right, Verse 2, wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. It, it fills my mind. Verse 3, my sin is always before me. It, it damages the source of life. Verse 10, creating me a pure heart, O God. And it separates me from God. Do not cast me away from your presence. And, and all of those sins combine to drain the joy right out of me, which is why David prays in verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. See, Psalm 51 is this gore description of the ravages of sin, but in a life that's filled with the gospel, the ravages of sin are merely a backdrop to the reviving grace of God. It's, it's the contrast. It, it's costly grace paid on the cross with the life of Christ, which makes it a prodigal, extravagant, too-good-to-be-true kind of grace. This is the grace of which Newton wrote when he wrote the song, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace, my fears relieved. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. After confronting him in his sin, Nathan the prophet says to David, God has passed over your sin. In some of your translations, it says God has put away your sin. And that's so good for David that it almost makes us uncomfortable. Like, it's not fair. And it isn't fair. It's grace. It it blows fair away. In his letter to the church at Corinth, Paul describes the good news of grace this way. He says, in Christ, God is not counting your sins against you. I mean, doesn't that make you think, that's too good to be true? And if it doesn't make you wonder if it's too good to be true, I'm telling you, it's not grace. So how do we go about embracing grace for the mess of sin. Let me just give you a, a few practical directions. And the first is acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. Verse 1 says, have mercy on me, O God. We, we acknowledge the truth about our condition. That's called confession. Confession is simply agreeing with God about the state of our souls, the condition of our hearts. Agreeing with God about sin. Some of us have a hard time being truthful with ourselves, right? 
We have an integrity blind spot the psychologists call the self-serving bias. For example, 800,000 high school students, I love this, they were asked if they were above or below average in social skills. Now, if they're accurate, it should have split kind of 50-50, right? Above and below average. I mean, guess how many students rated themselves as below average in social skills? 0% out of 800,000. In fact, 25% of them rated themselves in the top 1% of those with social skills. Uh, way back in 1997, US and News, US News and World Report asked people, who do you think is likely to get into heaven? And they were given a choice of seven people. Only 19% gave the thumbs up to O.J. Simpson, but Michael Jordan got 65%. I guess they, they figured God was a basketball fan. Oprah got 66%, but 79% gave the thumbs up to Mother Teresa. But guess who received the largest percentage of thumbs up for heaven? It was the person completing the survey. Apparently, most of the people during the survey thought, you know, Mother Teresa's got a pretty good chance of getting into heaven. In fact, there's only one person I can think of who has a better chance, and that's me. (laughs) We're pretty good at deceiving ourselves. Acknowledging the truth is the first step towards an extravagant grace that revives us. It's confession. Secondly is surrender. In verses 3 and 4, David says, For I know my transgressions, my rebellion against you, and against you only have I sinned. David here is simply surrendering. No more rationalizing, no more buts, no more justification, no twisting of God's standards and trying to make himself look better than he was. No more, I can do it. I'll make it right. I'll get better. He just surrenders. It's Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. Stop striving, pure and simple, hands up, surrender. I can't stress how important this one is. There is no grace without surrender. There is no intimacy without surrender. Fresh revelation of God and his ways only comes after seasons of surrender. So what do you need to surrender right now? An action, a relationship, a habit, an attitude, perspective, a hurt, money, (laughs) a job. What do you need to surrender? So acknowledge Surrender, and and thirdly, is embrace. Embrace grace. Embrace life-giving grace. In verses 7 through 13, David says, Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me me hear joy and gladness again, God. Create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't don't cast me away from your presence or take your spirit from, from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. See, David wants more than forgiveness. He wants way more. And actually, I hope you do too. The grace of God is not just a forgiving grace. The grace of God is it's a healing grace. The grace of God is a joy-restoring grace. The grace of God is a renewing, sustaining, strengthening grace. The grace of God brings an unstoppable tsunami of transformation. David is saying, please, God, forgiveness is not enough. Overwhelm me with grace. Restore me to the place where I can experience the sweet soul satisfaction of a spiritual connection with you. And then I'll teach others about your amazing, extravagant grace. How do we embrace grace? We come. David writes, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. You, O God, will not despise. Have mercy on me, O God. You know, I think those people in New York would have, that felt that burden, I, th- I think 
I think those people in New York felt that a burden would be lifted if what was hidden could be confessed. And perhaps for a time it was. But the reality is that God already knows what's behind the door. There's nothing hidden. He sees you completely. He loves you deeply. The one who loves you best, knows you best, loves you most. See, what we need goes deeper than confession. Confession is a start, but what we need is grace. All you can do with grace is receive it, believe it, let it wash over you. So before I read Psalm 51 one more time, let me encourage you to use Psalm 51 this week, sometime in the next day or two, today even. Use it as a prayer guide. Use it in two different ways. First, just read the words out loud. Make them your words. Let a sin in your life that needs to be confessed and surrendered turn from. Let it come to your mind and and make your prayer as you read Psalm 51, a prayer about that. Secondly, use it as a guide, not just as words to pray, but read through it and pause a time or two or four or five and And let what you read lead you in prayer. Let David's prayer be God's word to you, and then let it lead you in prayer. I'm so grateful for the mercy of God. Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we are dead, doomed, and full of sin. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loves us so much that he gave gave us life, and he gave us a seat at his table. And that is so amazing. I'm reading Psalm 51 from Eugene Peterson's The Message as we close. Generous in love, God give grace. Huge in mercy, wrap out my bad record. Scrub away my guilt, soak out my sins in your laundry. I know how bad I've been. My sins are staring me down. You're the one I violated, and you've seen it all. You've seen the full extent of my evil. You have all the facts before you. Whatever you decide about me is fair. I've been out of step with you for a long time, in the wrong since before I was born. What you're after is truth from the inside out, so enter me. Enter me then. Conceive a new, true life. Soak me in your laundry, and I'll come out clean. Scrub me, and I'll have a snow-white life. Tune me into foot-tapping songs. Set those once-broken bones to dancing. Don't look too close for blemishes. Give me a clean bill of health. God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Don't throw me out with the trash or fail to breathe holiness into me. Bring me back from gray exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails. Give me a job teaching rebels your way so the lost can find their way home. Commute my death sentence, God, my salvation, God. And I'll sing anthems to your life-giving ways. Unbutton my lips, dear God, and I'll let loose with your praise. Going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you. I learned God worship when my pride was shattered, heart shattered, lives ready for love. Do not for a moment escape God's notice. Make Zion the place you delight in. Repair Jerusalem's broken down walls. Then you'll get real worship from us. Acts of worship, small and large, including all the bulls they can heave unto your altar. Let me pray for you. And for me, Father God, thank you so much for your amazing grace, grace that taught our hearts to sing, amazing grace that that cleanses every sin, that forgives every every sin, that, that removes every stain. 
And I, I pray like David, we, we would acknowledge our sin. And I pray like David, we would surrender. Whatever it is that we need to surrender to you. God, bring to mind, for each person listening to this prayer, bring to mind what needs to be surrendered. And I pray, God, that we would embrace grace, that we would never think that our sin is so large that it can't be covered by grace, that our, our failures are so great that they they wipe out your forgiveness. God, help us to embrace grace. Help us to know as we embrace grace how very much we are loved. God, let there be a day like there was for David where we sing again, where joy is restored, where we understand so deeply how very much you love us. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.